For those who are younger, maybe you've heard it. For those who are older, maybe you remember it. Maybe it was as your parents were sitting in that kind of stuffy indoor pool arena area as you were at the one end of the pool and you were learning how to swim for the very first time or learning how to put your head underwater and not cry about it. And maybe you saw the mouth movement or you heard the voice, that's my son, that's my da- daughter, I'm finally, I'm proud of them, they finally did it, right? Or, or maybe it was as they were, they were seated on the bleacher, that cold bleacher beneath all those layers of blankets because mom and dad would do anything and they would go to every scrimmage you had no matter if your team was going to beat the other team by a bazillion points or you were getting your clock cleaned. They were there beneath those blankets screaming and yelling as you were running or as you finally went into the game with only a minute left. That's my son. That's my daughter, right? Or maybe it was not the outdoors but the indoors and they went to every away game. Maybe it was the volleyball match or maybe it was the basketball game and they just wanted to see you run up and down the court or they wanted to see you try to spike the volleyball or get a dig and when you did or even if you just fouled out of the game, that's my son, that's my daughter, I'm so proud of him, right? Or maybe it's the little children, you know, some of the little girls that were up here before. I don't know if they're into ballet and ballerina stuff, you know, where they got their little frou-frous on and, and, you know, the sequins and the bows. And, you know, mom and dad are just as pleased as punch to tell anyone and everyone seated next to them and around them and on social media, that's, that's my daughter. What makes them so proud is not necessarily that you would become an Olympic swimmer a world-famous soccer star, professional basketball player, or even be able to make it on that show called Dancing with the Stars. What makes it so special is that mom or dad look out at their son or daughter and they say with proudness, that's my son, that's my daughter. And if, if mom and dad would say, that's my son or that's my daughter, and they did nothing more than fall out of the basketball game, or run up and down the court and miss a shot or miss a kick. Or if they did nothing more than struggle through high school and just were able to walk across the stage at graduation, how much more when the father looks at his son atop a mount called transfiguration and he says, that's my son, with him I am well pleased. This morning, you and I get a front row seat to the sights and to the sounds of the Savior Jesus shining in all of His glory for that brief moment atop that mount, and perhaps because not just the sights and the sounds, but since Wednesday is fast approaching, it's the beginning of the season of Lent, we also get to see this this sequel. Why does God do what He does and He allows the Savior to shine in all of His glory if for but a moment that you and I would get a glimpse of it? That you and I could see the sights, the sounds, and behold the sequel. Mark records for us, he says this, he says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with Him and led Him up 
led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Now I want you to think about something. How did the disciples usually see Jesus? Jesus didn't walk around in designer clothing because the fancy clothes were for the people who lived in king's palaces. Jesus didn't walk around with his head held high and his nose higher in the air because that holier-than-thou posture was reserved for the Pharisees. In fact, if you read the scriptures, you get the sense that even Jesus wasn't perhaps a square-jawed George Clooney kind of face or whatever person you would say looks good today. Because the prophet Isaiah described Jesus. He described Jesus in this way. He said he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. How did the disciples usually see Jesus? We would have to conclude there really wasn't much maybe necessarily to see. But atop that mount of transfiguration, what sight did they behold of Jesus? It's spoken so simply and yet it's so profound. For a brief moment, that glory that Jesus possessed from all eternity as true God is revealed. Yes, Jesus, over three years of ministry, showed glimpses of it in every single miracle that he performed to show to people, yes, that the Son of Man is indeed the Son of God. But there atop the mount, what does Mark tell us? Mark tells us that his clothes became brighter than bleach could bleach them. The other gospel accounts tell us was brighter than lightning. Should have made the little kids, as they were up here for the children's message, close their eyes and look up at those two bright lights. It's kind of bright. Magnify that, multiply that times infinity plus one. How did Jesus look? Shining there in all his dazzling glory and splendor and his clothes brighter than bleach could bleach them. What a sight to behold. And yet, and yet, that's not the only thing those disciples, Peter, James, and John, saw. They got to see something else. Mark tells us, and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Those two great Old Testament Hall of Famers. Remember Moses? Remember Elijah? Moses, you know, the little baby that was put in the basket, right? Floated down the river, became the prince of Egypt. Moses, the one who turned his back on the pleasures and treasures in Egypt to do what? Lead God's people out of slavery from the Egyptians. Moses, the one who led the people through the wilderness, led them to the base of Mount Sinai where God summoned Moses atop Mount Sinai and there was a glorious sight for Moses to behold. The thunder, the lightning, the earthquake, the mountain shook as God revealed his Ten Commandments. Moses, the lawgiver, there he appears with Jesus atop the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John get to see him. Their eyes behold him, but Moses isn't the only one. There's also Elijah. Elijah, that prophet. That prophet who got to see glimpses of God's glory throughout his entire ministry as he was a spokesman 
on God's behalf to God's people, to God's lawless people. He spoke the truth of God. And what happened? Do you remember, Mo, remember Elijah atop, atop Mount Carmel? Hey, I think Baal is sleeping. Maybe you should scream a little bit louder. Let me pour some water atop that altar. Let's see who the true God is. You know the story, right? Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And then what happens? He points the people to the true God, the glorious God, and God comes in all his glory. And what? Elijah has to run for his life because Jezebel wants to kill him. And so what does he do? He runs to a cave and he complains, God, 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 I'm the only person left. God reveals his glory through what? The quiet, gentle whisper of the word. And then Elijah, this man, this prophet, doesn't get to taste death, but he gets taken to heaven. These two men, Moses and Elijah, oh, what a sight it would have been. Jesus dazzling in all of his glory. There, Moses, and there, Elijah. Can you picture it? Or maybe let me ask it this way. What is your picture of Jesus typically? When you think of Jesus, how do you see him? Go back, what, six weeks ago roughly? Maybe your picture of Jesus is that cute, cuddly, maybe chunky little baby. That little baby whose words don't necessarily mean all that much because he's the little baby wrapped in strips of cloth lying on a manger. Or maybe you know better that that baby didn't stay a baby, right? You know that because you've seen babies in the church. You've seen Pastor Crass's baby grow, relatively speaking, right? Babies don't stay babies, they grow up. So maybe your picture is of Jesus, Isaiah's picture, the suffering servant, the one that we get to journey with again this Lenten season, beginning this Wednesday. And maybe your mind goes to that picture of Jesus crowned with thorns, that picture of Jesus dressed in a royal purple robe, that picture of Jesus, Jesus with spit dripping down his face and blood oozing from some wounds because he's been hit by Roman soldiers who thought nothing of him. Or maybe you don't like that picture of Jesus because you think, well, if I, gotta, if I have that picture of Jesus in my mind, there's a reason for it, and I'm the reason, I'm the cause, and I don't like to think about that because that means I have to come to face to face with sin. So, so let's skip that picture. Let's go to the glorious Jesus. Let's picture Jesus shining in his glory with those, those, those white robes flanked by Moses and Elijah, or better yet, let's picture Jesus in all of his glory in heaven. Let's not think about Jesus, a gory Jesus. Let's think of a glorious Jesus. Because that Jesus, that Jesus is king. He's king of the universe. He's also king of my heart. That Jesus, he's the victorious Jesus, not the slain Jesus. That Jesus is the king of all creation, not the one who became subject because of a fallen creation. The Mount of Transfiguration gives us this proper biblical view of Jesus. That that Jesus who shines in all of his glory does so, knowing full well there's a mountain full of gore before him. 
And for those disciples, what a sight it was that they got to see, but it wasn't just the sight of Jesus that they saw atop that mount. Because sometimes looks can be deceiving, and so that those disciples would know undoubtedly who it was that they were looking at, God also allowed those disciples not just to see sights, but to hear sounds. What sounds did they hear? There's Moses and Elijah atop the mount, and they're what? Talking with Jesus. What are they talking about? Are they talking about the change in weather? And how it is in January, there are those moments when it can be very cold, but then, you know, you get those moments where it's 60 or 70 degrees. And then it drops back into the 30s. No, they're not talking about the weather atop the Mount of Transfiguration. Maybe they're reminiscing as, you know, they were older people. No disrespect, seasoned saints among us. But what do the seasoned saints love to do? They love to reminisce about the good old days. Were Moses and Elijah reminiscing with Jesus about the good old? No, they weren't reminiscing about the good old days. Luke tells us that those two were talking with Jesus about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. The Father used those two prophetic figures to talk about Jesus' upcoming death, his suffering, but also his resurrection so that those disciples would know that this was no mere accident. That this wasn't something to be avoided at all costs, but rather that this was the Father's plan for his Son. It's a plan so important that Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, Everything that they had talked about in their ministries, they're talking with the one who's about to fulfill it. Can you imagine that conversation? If that wasn't enough, there's other sounds. There's that loud sound as God, the Father, speaks from heaven. It's the same words that he spoke at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He speaks now at the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Can you imagine the pride that would have beamed? Much like, you know, parents who say, that's my son, that's my daughter, right? The father beaming with pride because what has his son done over the last three years? What has he done over the last 30 years plus? Everything that he was sent to do. This is my son, Jesus of Nazareth, born of Mary, also the eternal son of God. This is my son, whom I love. Loved by his own father. Loved more than you and I could ever love that baby that comes from our own flesh and blood. More than we could ever love the Johns and Janes and Jennifers and Jessicas and Joes and everyone else in our life. This is my son whom I love. I love him so much that willingly I give him to the world. Why? So that he can show this world a type of love that, that not even February 14th can show. That he can show this world love to those who hate him most. 
to a fallen race. Enemies, he's going to love. This is my son whom I love. What? Listen to him. Because what he says goes. Listen to his word for the salvation of your souls. Ignore his word to your own soul's condemnation. Jesus still speaks and he says, or the father still speaks of Jesus, still points us to him and says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Peter, James, and John. Listen to him. Six days prior to this moment atop the Mount of Transfiguration, he sat you guys down after he performed some miracles. Six days you've been sitting with this news that rocked your world. Peter, James, John, six days you've been wondering. Continue to listen to him. Yes, he told you the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests, the rulers, the teachers of the law. He will be condemned. He will be killed, but he will be raised again. Still, listen to this man. Peter, you especially. You were the one who said, Jesus, no, never, ever, ever can this happen to you. And what did Jesus say to him? Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Peter, James, John, this. This one, my son, Listen to him. How well do we listen to him? Because let's face it, there's lots of other voices that are crying out for us to hear. Among all the other sights that we could behold, there's lots of sounds. Each and every time we hear the word of God, is there this temptation to regard it as something that, well... It's insignificant to me today because there are other pressing matters in my life right now. Each and every time we hear the word of God, is it easy to brush it aside and say, you know what, that was good back then, but today things are just way too different. This world needs something better. These people need something stronger. Maybe I, maybe I can make something happen. And we want to set up our own personal pop-up tent of what Jesus should be like. Every single time the word of God is preached, every single time the word of God is taught, there's the temptation simply to doubt it because, hey God, I've got my own plans. I've got my own desires and I've got my own dreams for my life. And quite honestly, quite frankly, you're sending me down this path, but I'd like to be going down that path. I don't trust you. Each and every time we hear the word of God, there's a thousand and one other ways that, like Peter, we like to say, hold on here. Let me put up this personal pop-up tent for Jesus, for Moses, for Elijah, the kind that I want because the kind that I want doesn't involve the cross. It doesn't involve the gore. It's a little heaven on earth. Which is why the sound of Peter's voice isn't excluded from atop the mount, right? You know, Peter, the one who six days before, go home and read it, Peter, the one six days before, hears about Jesus talking about suffering and dying and, and all of that, and Peter thinks, uh-uh, not going to happen to you, Jesus. I'll stop it. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now Peter's got to speak again, that silly, stupid man, showing his sinfulness. Hey, Jesus... 
I want to stay right here atop the mount with you. Let's make it happen because if we can make it happen, that means there's no cross, there's no gore, there's no suffering, there's no death. Just heaven here on earth. Can we make that happen? Lord, it's beautiful for us to be here. Guess what? I may have been a fisherman, but I've now become a builder by trade. I'll build the shelter, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Because what do I want? My way. What does God say? That voice thunders from heaven. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Oh, the sights. Oh, the sounds. That prepare us for what? The sequel. Peter didn't get his wish. He wanted heaven atop that holy mountain. But instead, what do we hear? Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The sights, the sounds, the scriptures teach us what? This Son is indeed our Savior. Jesus once again tells the disciples, as he had done six days earlier, he tells the disciples, boys, guess what? You don't get to open your mouth. You don't get to talk about this glorious sight until after. After I've risen from the dead. A promise of victory but also a reality of what? If you're going to rise from the dead, what must you thus do before that? Peter, James, and John, I'm going to die. The Mount of Transfiguration is not the glorious watch Jesus ride off into the sunset and everything is oh so beautiful and precious, kind of like what happened to some of you when your coworkers said, you know what, it's been nice having you around, but now you're retiring. God bless you, God go with you, and God bless your heart. And you left and you had a smile on your face and you found this new thing called retirement. And oh, it's been beautiful. That's not what the Mount of Transfiguration was all about. It prepared for the sequel to Lent. Because the Savior Jesus was about to trade in a few months the glory of the Mount of Transfiguration for the gore of a mount called Calvary. He was trading the company of those two prophets of old citizens of heaven, Moses and Elijah, for what? the company of those cursing, cussing Roman legionnaires who would spit on him, who would balk at him, who would strike him, and who would make fun of him. He was trading that halo of heavenly light that shined forth from him. For what? A crown of earthly thorns. He would trade those beautiful garments that shone brighter than bleach could bleach them, brighter than the midday noonday sun 
for blood-soaked garments that would be stripped from him and gambled before him at the foot of the cross. Why? Because that Savior Jesus, who shines purer and brighter than the sun, well, he wants you to shine with him in all glory. So what is he willing to do? Down from the Mount of Glory he goes to a cross at Calvary. To do what? To bring to fulfillment everything that Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets testified about so that you and I so that you and I one day could, not for a short period of time, but for all eternity, enjoy the sights and the sounds of what Peter, James, and John got to see for that brief moment atop the Mount of Transfiguration. We get to enjoy in the New Jerusalem, the Mount Zion, the holy halls of heaven for all eternity. That Savior who shone in glory sets it all aside momentarily to accomplish for us what we so desperately needed, the salvation of our souls. That's my son, the father cries out. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. What better voice to listen to? What better eyes, what better thing for our eyes to look at? Because what does he do? Well, he calls you his own child, wraps you in his holiness, forgives you in his blood, promises you his presence, attends to you through his angels, and assures you a spot in heaven. If moms and dads are willing to say, that's my son, that's my daughter, when our son or daughter does nothing more than splash around in a pool and maybe drinks a couple cups of water as they try to keep their head above water. If mom or dad are willing or did say, that's my son, that's my daughter, with a smile on their face as we ran out with the team onto the court but never saw a second of playing time. If mom or dad spent all that time, and yes, maybe all that money on all of those bows and frou-frous and sequins and ballet shoes, and at least they faked it because they loved us. How much more? How much more the glorious Son of God, our Savior, whose Father atop the mount declares, that's my Son. I love Him. Listen to Him so we can say it, so we can mean it when we sing it. As we close our worship today, Glory and honor, praise, adoration, now and forevermore be thine. That's our beautiful Savior. Amen.